You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. This is episode 10 of Orange and Back Check. So glad you're here. Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. Uh, well, Scott, uh, this has been a weird week, to say the least. Um, not just on the ice, but now a three-game losing streak, all on the road uh, in Colorado, Winnipeg, and Minnesota. Unfortunately, off the ice, they also had the distraction. I don't want to call it a distraction. I think that's a... But it was, at the end of the day, with the tragic news of what's happening with Oscar Limbaum at the young age of 23, diagnosed with a form of bone cancer, and he's out for the remainder of the year. And that's just one of the many injuries this season already that have piled up, I would say, over the last two weeks. Not even. Week and a half. Week. Where do we go from here? Like, it's rough to look at this roster and see all the injuries starting with Oscar Lindblom and not just kind of feel a little cautious and pessimistic, I guess, is the, is the word I'm looking for. I don't really know. Well, let's start off. The First of all, the news about Oscar Lindblom is just beyond terrible. And we talked about on the pod last week how, you know, he kind of tailed off a little bit. And now you know why. And it's amazing. You wonder how long this is going on for. And I've... I thought last week, like, wow, Limbaugh just went out randomly. I didn't, I didn't see him get hit. I didn't see anything happen. And I was thinking, like, what happened here? I don't know. And then all of a sudden, that news comes out of nowhere and just smacks everybody across the face. I mean, it really sucks, man. I mean, that's cancer is the one thing that affects everybody at some point. I mean, you, you, you can't go anywhere without talking to somebody or knowing somebody who has not been affected by cancer. Um, he was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, with something that affects the bones and tissue. It starts either in the pelvis or the chest. Cancer sucks, man. Cancer sucks. And, you know, I've had a lot of family members pass away from it. I'm sure that it's been affected with you as well. Everybody mm-hmm. who's listening right now at some point, I'm, I would be fairly confident that it's touched somebody. So to have that affect the team internally and in the locker room, that's a huge thing, and it was kind of a shell shock. So um, let's take let's take everything off the ice for a second and see how it would just affect the team emotionally. Now, they're rallying around it, and they're going to fight and say this season is dedicated to Oscar. Uh, that's great, um, but I think it's going to be easier said than done. Once they get over the emotional hump of it, then you got to go into the strategic part of it. So uh, it's not pessimism. It's just so unexpected. It's kind of like, okay, 
There needs to be a reset button that hit that is hit here. So hopefully it was hit yesterday in Winnipeg because I mean they got blown out yesterday, and really it's because of that Faraby penalty that he's now suspended three games for. But um, it's this this is going to be quite a test for this team, a, a serious serious test. When you, not uh, from a strictly hockey perspective, because I, I do want to try and as best I can, as best as best as we can. Like I, I look at this podcast as a form of an outlet, like to get away from the stuff that trickles into our daily lives, like that what is sadly broken with Oscar Lindblom, and when it trickles into us, I still would like to try and keep it in the hockey perspective. Oscar Lindblom is tied for the lead in goals scored for this team. And from a hockey perspective, like, and you also have lost Travis Konechny, Oscar Lindblom. Uh, I, he's not. A, he's a strong fourth liner in Pitlick, and it's and now with uh, Joel Farabee, like, I, it's tough to go through what they just did with this. It's tough in any normal NHL week when you go through three game losing streaks. On the road, when you should have at least came away with, I think we were both predicting three to four points, depending on how we things were gonna. Yeah, and then you just get this wrench, and like it, it's. I had a there was a there was a video, and I don't I I don't want to I don't want to get out the reporter. I don't think it was Taron Hatcher. It was an employee of the Flyers that they posted about. They were talking with uh, Robert Haig, who is a fellow uh, Sweden with. Uh, with Oscar Lindblom, obviously, and they were like, they were just trying to get his thoughts, and everything seemed fine. And then suddenly they just said, "Did Oscar? He just found out two days ago at the time of the interview." And they said, "Are has he processed it?" And then just said, "Okay, I'm ready to fight." And I just thought, what kind of idiotic question is that? Like, if I'm the Flyers, I taught, I have had to have sat down with that social media, whatever the position is called, and just be like, man, you you can't do that. The person that replied to it said that there was a random follower that I had, and he was like, this is the dumbest question I ever heard because I had this, a form of cancer, and I didn't process it for a year. I'm still processing it. So, like, for someone to ask Robert Haig, who, whose only connection with Oscar Lindblom is they're both from Sweden and they're both played for the Flyers and they play hockey, like, you can't ask him those kind of questions. Two days ago, he was diagnosed with cancer, and you're asking him as he processed it and he's ready to fight? I get what he's getting at, but at the end of the day, know your audience. Like, what are you doing? It doesn't seem like that was an appropriate time for that question. I didn't hear it, and that's the first time hearing about it. I wouldn't have asked that. Um, that That's something that you – you kind of phrase it in a different way if you're going to do it as, hey, like, you know, you guys, I know you guys are fighting for this guy. You know, had, um, have you have you spoken to him at all or has he been in touch with the team? Like, not has he processed it? I mean, no. I, anytime that you're diagnosed with anything, uh, you know, I, you know, knock on wood, I have never been diagnosed with cancer. And I know you, probably you haven't. Um, so, I mean, we can't we can't speak for it. But I'm sure that if something like that major happens, then you're probably not going to process it for a while. And it's a difficult, difficult thing. And I've seen family members go through that, and, you know, they don't really process it because how can you? Like, it's it's something that takes a lot of lives. And when something happens to you, or take, you can't ask that kind of question. I think that's absolutely silly. And 
Yep. You know, I, I agree with you that we need to kind of we'll try to focus on this this week about other things in it because yeah, we can talk about the emotional aspect of it, but then it really comes to the point of how this is really going to affect the team on the ice. I mean, in my view, they're going to have to bring in a player. I don't think that the options they have with, you're right, with Limblom out for the season, Konechny's skating, making progress, but he's still out indefinitely. Your boy, Tyler Pitlick, he's out yeah. indefinitely. Lawton's out week to week now with a groin injury, and Farabee suspended three games. So, to replace that, they've called up Nicholas Aubé-Kubel and Carson Twarinski. They have Chris Stewart, and they also brought up Mikhail Vorbriev last week. The issue that it becomes is that there's not enough talent there to really play at the NHL level on a night-in-night-out basis. Yeah, some guys are younger, like Kubel, Kubel's younger and Vorbriev's younger, but they're, they're not to the talent level of a Limblom or Konechny. And they're not going to give you as much energy as Pitlick or the defensive sound game that Lawton brings. So there's some issues here. There's some issues here. Now, let, we're not going to go back because, oh, my God, they lost 7-3. Let's go back like he did a month ago with uh, Pittsburgh and say blow the whole thing up. But they're going to have to bring in a player here. And let's be honest, like, Kubel, for what he's worth, at the end of the day, he's really just a body because of the, the decimation of this forward Kubel has been in the minor leagues, in specifically Lehigh, for as long as I can remember. Like, it's been... Like, I would say you're the better uh, analyzer of the minor league, I would say, between the two of us. But I would venture to guess from a a skater, defense, or forward, you should... If you are going to be anything in the AHL, third line, fourth line, doesn't matter. If you're going to be anything, you're out of the AHL in three years at most. Mm-hmm. He's been there for he's he was drafted in 2014, so he yeah. he's he's got five years professional experience one way or the other, and he hasn't really cracked the lineup yet. He has been a little bit here and there, but he hasn't been able to find his footing even in the bottom six. I mean, it doesn't really go well for your you know perspective. But I mean, let's look at Anthony Duclair, who had a hat trick last week for Ottawa, and he's bounced around five teams in his young career already. But and sometimes it might take longer than others, but at the same time, I don't think there's anything special that's coming up here. Now, there's two there's two guys that I identified who are going to be free agents at the end of this year. Oscar Lindblom is still in the last year of his rookie deal, so his salary is right around 900000 on the year. They have a little bit of cap space to play with here because Nolan Patrick's been out. He's been put on LTIR, so they have some cap room here they can kind of wiggle around here. Both of these players are under $2 million, both left wings that could probably fill the gap a little bit. One of them is Josh Levo for Vancouver. He's got seven goals and 10 assists on the year, 17 points, right around the stats that Limblom had. His salary is, just, I think, believe about a, a shade under $2 million. He's six foot one. He's been in the league a couple of years, played with um, Toronto, and now he's playing with Vancouver. I believe he actually scored a goal against the Flyers when they were here in Philadelphia as well. He's a left winger. You might be able to get him fairly cheap as a rental player because you don't know how long Limbaugh's going to be out for you. I mean, it, you're, they're saying the season, but it could lead into next season as well, so you might need to prepare for that. Another option, too, is Matt Nieto. Matt Nieto plays for Colorado. He's got five goals and ten assists on the year. Formerly played for the Sharks. 5'11", a little bit smaller player, but also has a smaller salary. So, point-wise, those are two guys you could probably bring in 
on the cheap, maybe a third, fourth round draft pick. I have to throw something like that in order to get it. Um, but Fletcher's got to make a move here. And the thing is, this isn't something where they can take Ghost and kind of package him up for a player a deal right now either because, A, it's too early. And, B, they're not going to get the value for that if they do any kind of move like that now because teams are going to know they're desperate, so they're going to try to fleece them. So, you know, it, it's really going to come down. This is where Chuck Fletcher is really going to have to show his value and, and because now you have a roster that's banged up severely. You have a player that was one of your top players out for the season – you have to replace that somehow. You can say that, hey, the, you know, we'll give the guys down in Lehigh a shot to do it, but there really isn't enough talent there. So Fletcher, it's going to be on him to do something here. And Vigneault, it'll show how good of a coach he is because he's going to have to really do something with the talent that, that he has to work with. And any good coach will have talent. if They don't. They will find a way to work their talent. Dave Tippett's really good at that. Um, I believe that Vigneault is one of those guys as well, but – regardless, you're going to see something move over the next couple of weeks, in my opinion. Yeah, I and I'm focusing more just on how Vigneault, like, not only is he just, like, it's obviously not his first coach co- coaching year ever compared to Dave Haxall that we had the last couple of years, but, like, this is where you really have to, you go through adversity throughout an 82-game season, 82, uh, yeah, 82-game season every year, no matter what team you're on, no matter who you're with, but, these different wrenches that are thrown in are what make the coaches great. I don't know how you respond to a guy get, that's like Oscar Limbaugh saying, hey, you're out for the season because you have cancer, but this is the Vigneault's test. I know we we want to talk about uh, Chuck Fletcher having to bring in the guy, but I can't get mad at him. One, he need, I agree that he needs to make, make a move, but I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't do it until January, February, trade deadlines, I believe, at the end of February this year. And, like, I, I I can't have them in a situation where they say, we're banged up, we think X player, we'll just use Lawton as the example because his groin is week to week at this point. Like, oh, we'll have him in the new year, by the new year, after the Christmas break, whatever it may be. And you kind of just roll around on these last uh, couple games in the, of the new year, especially this West Coast trip that's coming up uh, year in, year out, where they it's, I think, eight games in 12 days, something like that, something crazy. And they just say, we'll figure it out. Because the most I, I the most important thing, the, the, or the biggest change that has happened in the NHL in the last, I would say, six years, seven years, whatever it may be, is not only the speed of the game, but the importance of bagging points early. And that's what the Flyers have been doing really, really well this year. They've been winning in chunks. Obviously, this past week has been the exception because of the three-game losing streak. But they've been having a really good good success of bagging chunks of points early, getting three-game win streaks, four-game win streaks before they drop their next one. And even when they drop that next one, it may be an overtime loss, so you're still bagging a point. I cannot have them sitting back and saying in a mindset of, well, we think we have enough points in the month of uh, November and December, so sitting back and seeing where we are in January for these health problems comes about, and all of a sudden they're now three points outside the wild card, and everything has gone to crap. Yeah, and I, you have to be worried about that. I don't think the Flyers can wait until January or February to make a move. I think they have to replace their roster player right now because the Rangers, who the Flyers play next week, a week from today – are nipping at their heels. They're only three points out. They're, now, the Rangers are sixth in the in the Metro, but they're three points behind Flyers. So, 
there, there's not enough wiggle room for them here to really say, okay, let's just try to grind this out over the next couple of weeks. They've really got to get an established player in here now. It's not that they can't get these roster spots and get these guys enough time to to build up to it. It's the fact that it's not going to make them competitive enough. It's not that they don't want to use their talent. They don't have enough to really throw in there right now to compete in on a night-in, night-out basis. They've got four games in the next seven days. You know, I'm not saying doom and gloom. I'm not. I'm still pretty positive about this team, and I think it's something where this is something that will light a fire underneath them. But structurally and strategically, there's not enough talent on the roster right now with all these injuries to really kind of keep them competitive at the level that they're at now. I am confident that they will get to that level, and I'm confident that Vigneault is going to develop them, and I have a con- I'm confident that they're going to rally around this. You know, and here's why. We've seen this once before in Philadelphia, believe it or not. Think think back about 20 years. In fact, it's strange enough, 20 years ago this season, the 99-2000 season, when Roger Nielsen, their head coach at the time, told the team right around this time of year that he had cancer. And the Flyers were blah, blah, blah. They were kind of eh, at that point of the year 20 years ago as well. And I'll never forget Chris Terrian kind of explaining it, that they were – watching something and they were I believe they're watching video of a player and they were laughing about it and then right afterwards he told the team that he had cancer and they said you could hear a pin drop in that locker room and the Flyers rallied around that and they rallied around that and they got to the Eastern Conference final in game seven so it does give them a bit of motivation it's going to take them a little time to just do it emotionally. You, you got to give them a little bit of space here. Now, they're going to come out and give you all the players speak and the coach speak like, hey, look, you know, you know, we're, we're, we can't make it as an excuse, all that stuff. Okay, uh, let me ask you this. If you had a family member that was diagnosed that because – and I say family member because those locker rooms are as tight as families. They are families. 100%, yeah. They, they will go night and day. They will go to the – they will go to war with each other every single night. Any good coach will tell you when you play, you're not playing for yourself. You're playing for the guy to the left of you and the guy to the right of you. So those, all those hockey teams, professional hockey teams, they become really, really tight. So they're going to rally around it. Take it from this perspective. If you had a family member that told you that they had cancer, you're probably going to be screwed up for a couple of days there. And I think that – and I, I have enough respect for the fans in this city to understand that, okay – Probably expect a little bit of a lull here. It might take them a couple days. Hopefully that Winnipeg game was the reset button that I'm going to be talking about. But it's going to probably take them until around now to really kind of accept this and, and, and push forward on it. So I think that this week, hopefully, they have a favorable enough matchups to where they can actually pick up some points here. But in the next seven days, they have eight points on the table for four games. And... They really need to keep pace. They need to pick up about six of them. So uh, it's it's a tight week, and there's a lot of question here, but hopefully, you know, and there's not a whole lot of time to practice either. I mean, they're on their way back. They came back from Winnipeg um, yesterday, and they're on the ice again tomorrow, so you only really got one day off. So um, they need to pick up six points here this week, I would say, to keep pace, and especially with a four-point swing against the Rangers next week. So uh, – Let's hope that they figure this out sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I, I we'll have our complete full preview in a, just right after this episode. You'll hear it Tuesday afternoon. Like, I think it's perfect that they're coming home tomorrow night. 
uh, after, and they're playing a crappy team that's really struggling in the Anaheim Ducks. No, um, don't, don't, don't think that. Don't think that. You're gonna hear that in the preview. Why? That's true. They're they're seventh in the Pacific, but here's the thing: it's a Pacific Division team. Flyers yeah. struggle against them, and right. also, don't forget Ottawa's seventh in the in the Atlantic, and they've beaten them, and they give the Flyers a run. So, it's not a rollover opponent. Trust me. But here's I I think because it is the first home game since the news of Oscar Lindblom, it's gonna be one of those. Hey, we're rallying for this, and that crowd. I expect that crowd to be at least 75% full. We talked last week about how the crowd is still uh, slow to come back, and that's perfectly fine. I'm not going to like judge them for not coming back yet. Um, something tells me, one, they should absolutely wear those purple hockey fights cancer jerseys, like at least in warm-up, 100% wear those. If, if, they can, if they can get those on their hands, absolutely wear them. I think they wore them last month in pregame when uh, NHL does it. It's going to be an emotional, emotional time for the team, the fans, and the players. It's going to be an emotional for all of them. But you're, you're, yeah. you're right. You're right. They'll probably come out with some fire. It's, it's a winnable game. It's a winnable game. And they really need to put that emotion out there early. So before we wrap up, let's touch quick. Uh, they're outside of the Flyers. Thankfully, this has not touched the Flyers in any way. Uh, well, a little bit. They, they, it has touched. No they, pun they, it intended. It has, it has, t- duh. It, it has uh, hit them a little bit. Again, damn it! I gotta stop with these horrible puns. They're fantastic. Who loves a, Who doesn't love a good dad joke, Bill? <laughs> right. There has been some weird. I don't even want to call it weird, but like, I guess sign of the times. Like, kind of just this this outing of of coaches for physical and mental abuse allegations, and this re- resulted in some. Uh, coaches being fired. Bill Peters is one of them. Well, he was, he, I believe he used a racial slur as long as it, as well. So he's, he, I'm always one of those guys that's just gonna be like, listen, if you're dropping that word at a practice at anybody, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna feel sorry for you when you get fired. I'm sorry. So Bill Peters is a little bit of an exception, but it, Laviolette, Peter Laviolette is getting accused by Billy Leno. Like, Billy Leno, of all people, is accusing these guys of, some sort of abuse, and it's hard to call it abuse slash bullying, but you're a little bit better on this because you're you're outside. But where what is what is happening? Okay, so let's start. Let's let's talk about the Laviolette thing. So Dan Carcillo actually accused Laviolette of going out there and trying to get him to go out and instigate fights, and you know, punching Billy Leno. Now, there is a, a GIF. A, how do you say GIF or GIF? I don't even know. I've heard it both ways. I go with GIF. I've been told that the – I have been told – I haven't been found, been able to find the proof or the, the evidence of it. I've been told that the creator of these things calls it a GIF. So if that's what – if that if that's really out there, I'll start calling it a GIF, but I have yet to find it. So I'm going to stick with a GIF. I'm going to stay with GIF because I've been calling it that, not to confuse it with the <laughs> peanut butter. Everyone knows what you're talking about, at least. I digress. The point is, there, uh, there's a gif out there that has Peter Laviolette punching Billy Leno in the back of the head. It's out there. It was a game against Carolina. They were down 2-0 early, and he's saying, pound, pound, pound the effing body. And we, and he says that, he swings, and it hits Billy Leno in the head. 
And if anything, it's an unintentional hit. And it was. And it was. Now, Billy Lano has come out and said that LaViolette did it by accident. LaViolette said, I went to punch my hand, and I missed, and I hit his helmet. Lano came out and said, it looks a lot worse than it actually was. He caught the back of it a little bit. He goes, it's fine. It's not a big deal. He goes, he apologized profusely after. So, I think it's some guys are really starting to blow this up, and here's why. We have Bill Peters resigned from the Flames because of accusations of physical abuse and racial slurs. Another big part of this is people aren't really making a big deal of this part, but there's there's two separate things that are going on here. One is uh, Mike ba- – and that, Bill Peters actually started the whole coaching carousel type deal because Ken, uh, Mike Babcock got fired as well, John Hines – Got fired in the, in the from the Jersey Devils, which I called that at the beginning of the season with the way that Tampa roster was playing. I called, knew that was going to happen. Not in that, not in this aspect, though. No, 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 no. He just got fired just for for it was a hockey move. Jim Montgomery right. got fired in Dallas last week out of the blue for unprofessional conduct. Also, from what I'm told, is not related to all this abuse scandal going on. And Pete DeBoer was fired last week from San Jose. Strictly a hockey move. Everybody's clarifying this thing. It has nothing to do with the abuse scandal. But here, here's two parts of the abuse scandal that I'm, I'm actually having a problem with. One is I feel like it's not being looked into enough. And the other one I think is just completely overblown. I'll start with the one that's not being looked into enough. Mike Babcock, who is recently the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs and previously of the Detroit Red Wings and Anaheim Ducks, was accused of... A couple years ago when he was with Detroit of getting on Johan Franzen, who was a forward for them, a very good forward, getting in his head so bad that it, and yelling at him and putting him down so bad that it gave him a nervous breakdown. Now, Chris Chelios went on another podcast called Spittin' Chicklets, and he kind of explained that there are some issues that he saw some things in the locker room that, that, that Babcock was, while he's good strategically, he just would take it overboard with some of the players. You know, getting on them and stuff. Somehow, their general manager at the time, Ken Holland, who's now the GM of the Oilers, they it got up the ladder to Ken Holland that some things were going on in the locker room. It was brought to Ken Holland's attention. What do you think Ken Holland did about it? Probably nothing. He went in front of the team, held a team meeting, and said, Babcock is my coach, and if you don't like it, I'm going to trade your ass. And he told this in front of all the players. Oh, wow. So, and this is what the problem I have here is that you have a coach who's getting into someone's head that much that it's giving them a nervous breakdown while on the bench. And also, it happened in the locker room, too, where he basically broke down. And players can confirm have confirmed this. Why is it that that's not being looked into more? They're not looking into it all. Ken Holland's saying, I had no idea this stuff was going on. Ken Holland said, I had no idea this stuff was going on. I find that nonsense because players have brought it to your attention that something was going on, and that is poor management on your part to really find out what's going on and just saying, hey, that's my guy. If you don't like it, I'm going to trade you. But let's switch the sides of this because some of that stuff was also, at the time, accepted behavior. There was really no standards for, hey, like you know, we're, we're just getting around to now where we're really saying, okay, these professional players are human beings. Maybe they need to be treated with a little more respect instead of being chewed out and yelled at and, and screamed at and hit and all that stuff. There are people, too. They have rights. Just because you're in a very competitive industry doesn't mean that you have the right to punch somebody in the head or whatnot, okay? There's a flip side to this. 
is that if that was accepted at the time, they're not looking into Ken Holland not knowing about this stuff and really digging into this and finding out what was going on back then. Mark Crawford, who is now an assistant with the Blackhawks, coached the Colorado Avalanche to a Stanley Cup in 1996, was also head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, was also head coach of the, Va- uh, the Los Angeles Kings. Back in 07, Sean Avery, we all know Sean Avery, if you don't know the name, he's the guy who once <laughs> flipped me off in the parking lot at the Flyers rink. At the Wells Fargo Center. True story. Back when he was probably on the Rangers, right? Yeah, right. We, yeah, when he was a Ranger, yeah. But also, he's the guy who was talking about the, the sloppy seconds bit. So, when I first heard about this, I was kind of like, eh, I'm not really sure if I buy it. But Mark Crawford was said to have kicked Sean Avery after he served a penalty. Now, Mark Crawford has not been well-liked by some of his former players. One of his most outspoken critics is Patrick O'Sullivan. Patrick O'Sullivan... Was a player in the NHL for a while, played with the Oilers, played with the Kings. It wasn't great of a player, but he was he an was NHL talent. He can't stand Mark Crawford. To this day, he will dog Mark Crawford to anybody. He said he is the worst human being, not coach, worst human being he's ever met. So my thought was, okay, if Avery's saying this, but Patrick O'Sullivan, who will dog him no matter what, isn't the first to come out and say this. That was my first red flag about this. Here's the thing. It goes back to 2007. Now, that kind of stuff was obviously tolerated then because if you're going to get on, if you're not going to get on Mike Babcock and Kent Holland for doing these things for Johan Franzen and not stepping up for the team, probably closer to 2010, 2011, you're going to get suspended. Mark Crawford's been suspended by the Blackhawks as the NHL looks into this. You're going to go and say, okay, well, this happened 12 years ago. We're going to suspend you now for it. I mean, it's kind of nonsense. Now, Brent Sopel said in an interview as well, who was a former defenseman in the league, played for the Blackhawks, played for the Kings, played for, I believe, the Islanders as well. Sopel has been around the league. He said that Crawford would verbally abuse him left and right, call him trash, he couldn't do anything, said he'd grab him by the collar and like basically choke him, he punched him and kicked him a couple times. So I'm starting to believe that some of these things happened, but how much around the league was it happening before? Why are we penalizing a guy in 2019 for something to happen in 2007. I get kind of mixed up with all this. I mean, if you're going to do it for one, you do it for all. Then Babcock should be held to get accountable. Ken Holland should be held accountable. If Mark Crawford's going to be held accountable, then Ron Hextall and Dean Lombardi, who were management for the Kings at the time, need to be held accountable. Yeah, and I think that's... One, I think the biggest problem, and I don't think this word exclusively was used by one of the players making these accusations, but also more by the headlines of the news media that was covering it, and they labeled it bullying. Calling it bullying makes it sound, and I don't want to downplay it, but makes it sound childish. Like, it makes it sound like they are the second grade kid that's getting beat up by the fifth grader. And that's not the case. It's completely different because of... And that causes, as my point about that is, it just causes us to have less sympathy towards the players. And I think these players deserve our sympathy because of, like, as you were alluding to earlier, they're humans. I can't treat them like utter garbage every time they miss, like, every time Jake Voracek, I'm I'm specifically using Jake in this scenario. (laughs) Every time Jake doesn't shoot the puck, doesn't uh, skate... Uh, on his makes a f- complete check, whatever the case may be. I'm not gonna yell and scream about how he's a worthless pos. Like that's it's. 
as the old, I, I probably would have said it seven years ago, 12 years ago. We're talking about 2007 with Mark Crawford. Like, I have, I've gotten to the point, you're a little bit older than me. I'm almost 30 years old, and it's just like, I can't yell at a guy that is probably one, at least 12 years younger than me, at least, because of how this game is played. Uh, and it's just like, it's insane to like get that upset, and for a coach to get that upset, bringing it back around, I get it. You are getting paid a lot of money. You are hired to be fired. That is what the name of the game, and not just hockey, in all of professional sports. Villa, uh, AV is going to be fired at some point with the Flyers, just like Quinville was hired with the Chicago was excuse me fired with the Chicago Blackhawks last season. Ironically, it was around this time last year that everyone is freaking out because we thought we were hi- firing Hackstall and hiring Quinville at the Christmas break. Fun times. Um, so, like, it, I get it. They are under equal or even more pressure than the players themselves because of the when everyone looks at the end of the season evaluation, they're going to say they're look at the coach first before they get rid of the player. You can't go around punching people in the head, slapping them, kicking, throwing sticks at them, whatever they were doing, and expect that no repercussions happen. And to your point, upper management, it's the, and I, I'm going to use another analogy here because I went to this school around this time. I was there. You can't look at uh, the Penn State thing and just say, uh, Jerry Sandusky was the only guy that knew or Joe Paterno was the guy that only knew everyone knew everyone from Grand Spanier Jerry, whatever the athletic director's name is Schultz I think is it doesn't matter everyone knows everyone knows like I I, I have a really hard time tr- saying like we had it this week the, the Patriots, they were caught filming the sideline of the Cincinnati Bengals. You're telling me at some point, Coach Belichick and Robert Kraft and all, and Tom, maybe not Tom Brady, fine. I can, you can, I can understand that argument a little bit. But anybody that is in the front office has to be held accountable for these kind of situations. And to just lay it off as, oh, I don't know, just boggles my mind. 100%. And you made it, and that's, that's actually a great analogy with the whole Penn City thing, because it's the truth. You can't tell me that Ken Holland was not aware of some of this stuff that was going on. That's just poor management on your part. I don't care yeah, how you- legendary of a manager you are and bringing Stanley Cups to Detroit. It, you're in charge for a reason for doing this kind of stuff, which is why I applaud the Dallas Stars for firing Jim Montgomery. Yes. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows why Jim Montgomery was fired. Nobody knows the unprofessional conduct. I'm telling you. There is nothing out there. There's nothing. There is. It's between two people. It's between Jim Nill, the GM of the Stars, and Jim Montgomery. So they they went and had and didn't announce it. Just said, okay, whatever it was, it was unprofessional enough to the point where we need to fire you. And he's actually got a he's done a really good job down there in Dallas too. So yeah. that's management. That's good management. It's saying, okay, this is a problem. This violates the values of our team that violates the values of our organization as a whole, whatever sports company owns it, that you need to go. Ken Holland, for as long as he's been in the league, should have noticed this. Yep. He should have. Okay. Uh, who is the, I believe the GM down in, um, uh, I believe the GM at the time that Bill Peters was in Carolina was Ron Francis. Ron Francis should have known about this stuff and should have brought it in. And Ron Francis is a Hall of Fame player. 
Why isn't he being held accountable? Why didn't he? Wasn't he wear some of this stuff? And the same thing goes to the Mark Crawford situation. I, you know, I've I've read some coaching books. You know, and I've read a little into Mark Crawford's mind and his coaching philosophy. Me personally, I'm not a fan of him at all. I, I can see why players are. are There's nothing special about him. Nothing just seems. It just seems laissez-faire just because he played in the league and played for Vancouver under Roger Nielsen that he, you know, he just, I don't know. There was nothing special about it. But even so, I digress. If Mark Crawford really did some of this stuff, Dean Lombardi was the GM and Ron Hextall was the assistant GM around that time. You can't tell me that they had no idea what was going on with that stuff. You can't yep. tell me that all of a sudden the players are like, oh, well, we, we felt like we couldn't go talk to anybody about it. We couldn't do anything. Then that's on management's job to find that out and figure it out and fix it. Well, back to the Flyers. Before I'm going to wrap it up here. Like It's been a tough week. Uh, I think Flyers fans have a should look at this week as just a huge hiccup. One of the big I, – I said – I think it was yesterday I tweeted like – not only is this probably one of the worst week of their season, it's probably one of the worst weeks in franchise history for what has happened with Oscar Lindblom. So from everyone here at Orange and Backcheck, we are wishing Oscar Lindblom a huge and quick, speedy recovery. We hope to see him not on the ice. I'd love to see him at a game, just sitting up in the box, something like that, get get him all healthy enough. I, I wish the kid nothing but the best. I'm glad he's here. He's getting the best medical treatment possible um, and medicine. It's going to be a hell of a fight. Oscar, you know you're behind. We're, we have you behind us. And uh, that's going to do it for this week of uh, Orange and Backcheck, episode 10. We will have our preview coming up in just a few days, or excuse me, later today at the time of this release, probably around 4 or 5 o'clock. Um Anaheim is coming up. That's gonna. It's gonna be an interesting. We'll have our complete preview. I'm feeling good this week. Um, what's your predictions for four games in seven? Uh, four games in seven days, concluding with the Rangers in in division. I'm so hesitant to say anything. Sixty five percent, but I'm gonna go with like seven points. I'm gonna go with six. Uh, maybe five or six. I mean, okay. Anaheim's going to give him a bit of a challenge. Buffalo's going to give him a bit of a challenge. Ottawa's always going to give him a challenge. And it really depends. The Rangers have been Jekyll and Hyde this year, so it depends on what they get. But I think that out of this week, they need to pick up six points to keep the Rangers at arm's length. So I think it's that's more imperative than the opponent because they need to pick up points this week because they just lost out on six points and didn't yep. pick up any in the last three games. They've got to make up a point here somehow or two. I think that with this schedule coming up, we'll discuss in the preview. I think six points is doable. All right. Uh, Check out for that preview. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. You get all our stuff. We are constantly tweeting. We're going to start live. We started live tweeting during the games. Have all our analysis in mid-game. We appreciate listening. For Scott Weinhardt, I'm Bill Kornfeld. We'll talk to you in a few. Fight with Oscar.